Good morning and welcome to the 153rd session of the General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. Wherever you are, we welcome you to this virtual experience. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I said the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. God has a special blessing for us today. We know that God is going to move in a powerful way through preaching and teaching and development, not only for us as individuals, but for us as a church community. This is our time together. Let us stop what we're doing and resonate in the presence of the almighty God. For the Lord is here and it is time to worship. Again, I welcome you on behalf of Executive Secretary Treasurer, Dr. Barr, and our President, Dr. Leonzo Lynch. I am Dr. Latanya Agar. This is your greeting and your call to worship. May the Lord find a blessing and healing and all, all manner of prosperity for us as we move into our worship experience. A reading from Psalms 21, verses 1 through 7. In your strength, the king rejoices, O Lord. In your help, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips, Shalah. For you met him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your help. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. You bestow on him blessings forever and make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the most high, he shall not be moved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we come to you as simply as we know how. God, we come to you knowing that you already know the desires of our hearts. You know the desires of our hearts, God, better than my words can say and certainly better than our actions display. God, thank you for this gathering. God, thank you for your presence in our lives. God, thank you for your forgiveness, a forgiveness which we do not deserve, but you give to us gracefully anyway, God, and we say thank you for that. God, thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for moving us beyond our own understanding. God, thank you for sitting high and looking low. God, thank you for every ministry that is represented. God, thank you for wrapping your loving arms around us during difficult times. So God, I ask, that for those that may be struggling today, whatever their concern may be, God, whether it be a financial concern, an emotional concern, a physical concern, God, whatever may be ailing your children today, God, I ask that you would move those things to the side, God, so that we can focus on giving you the praise that you richly and rightly deserve. In spite of what may be going on in our jobs, 
in spite of what may be going on within our families, in spite of what ailments we may be dealing with, in spite of what may be going on in the government, God, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Because all power is ultimately in your hands. And we know, God, that in due time, when you see fit, that all things will move according to your will, God. And for that, God, we say thank you. God, we thank you for your righteousness and love. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. And the people of God say, amen. Greetings in the matchless name of Jesus, our Christ. Welcome to the 153rd annual session of the General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. I hereby declare the session opened for this virtual session this year in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. We are excited as to what God is doing during this time, even during the pandemic. We want to welcome our special, special guest, Dr. Gina Stewart, will be blessing us in a powerful way. Dr. Stewart of Memphis, Tennessee, will be with us for this session, along with Dr. John Adolph of Beaumont, Texas. We are expecting God to do major things during these sessions. God bless you. Thank you for joining in. You still have time. Call a friend, call a family member, call a loved one. Invite them to join in this great work today. Amen. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth through all generations. To our president, Dr. Lynch, and to our executive secretary treasurer, Dr. Barr, to our presidential cabinet, to our auxiliary heads, and to this Baptist family throughout the state of North Carolina. It is with much joy and delight that I bring greetings as the Vice President at Large to the General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina in observance of our 153rd annual session. I realize that there will be no gathering of the saints. However, the Spirit of the Living God has promised us that he will meet us and bless us in a marvelous way. So before you hang your head, since we cannot gather for corporate worship, I'm reminded of what the psalmist told me to tell you. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And if you do that, the King of glory shall come in. Just in case you're wondering who this King of glory is, he is the Lord, strong and mighty, in battle, so lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. So we're looking forward to a wonderful time, October 26th, 27th, and 28th. We'll see you there. Until then, blessings overflowing. Greetings, General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. I am the Reverend Dr. Reginald A. Barnes, Sr., your assistant recording secretary, and it is in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that I greet you on this, the Lord's Day. I come to you on behalf of our president, Reverend Dr. Leonzo Lynch, our executive secretary treasurer, Tony Barr, and the entire cabinet of the General Baptist State Convention. 
I know that we have been dealing with perilous times. I know we've been dealing with stressful times. And I know in many instances we have been dealing with fearful times. But General Baptist, I just want to come by to greet you today, encourage you today, and remind you that although things seem to be strange, we still serve the God who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could think or ask. So to that end, General Baptist, although we are not able to gather physically, we are still able to gather spiritually. And to that end, I encourage each and every one of you to set out your cups and prepare for a most impactful and dynamic 153rd annual session. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you in Jesus' name. Thank you. I'm excited to have you a part of our virtual session as we're moving in this session, the 153rd annual session of the General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. I want to make a brief appeal to all of our delegates, members, churches, that you would be in prayer as we are planning for 2021. I realize that we're in a pandemic. It has affected how we do everything. It has also affected the financial state of our local churches, our associations, state and national conventions. But as we are planning for next year, during this time, many of you are in your planning meetings for your local church budgets for 2021. We appeal to all of our budget committee members, our trustees, our deacons, our church members at large. As your church budget is being put together, please remember the great work that you have supported across the years of General Baptist. Your financial support allows this convention to hold high the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. Missions is still who we are. Missions is still what we do. But to do that, we need your support. We need your prayers and we need your financial backing. Thank you so much for your consideration. May God bless you is our prayer.
formerly known as the weatherman, has the distinct pleasure of pronouncing the possible outcome of the weather. I would like to suggest that he or she must be at times a proclaimer of prophecy. They will seek diligently for possible signs of turbulent weather. Then after careful consideration and the avoidance circumspects of analyzation, a warning is broadcast and it'll tell you seek shelter and stay inside. For the sky may be clouded, or perhaps you may need to take a jacket, a raincoat, or even dress warmly. It may be suggested based on the fact that there's a possible inclination of bad weather. They will often speak, though, in mathematical languages. This is a 50% chance of rain. The prediction of tumultuous weather may be inevitable. There might be a tornado warning, meaning one has been sighted in the viewing area. What they are really trying to say, a storm is on the way. I'm here today in the role of meteorologist. I spot a cloud, and there is a 100% chance that a storm with turbulent winds tumultuous rain and earth-moving mudslides is on the shores of the General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. You can try to batten down your hatches if you like, but I have a sneaky suspicion that it will not do any good. And therefore, you need to get ready to feel the wind, see the destruction, and hear the clarion call for repentance and salvation. I present to you none other than the Category 5 hurricane herself, the Reverend Dr. Gina Stewart. 
She's the overseer of the Christ Missionary Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. She's an unforgettable personality, a pastor, a preacher, a prognosticator of the living gospel. Hear and receive her for her greatness and tenacity to exegete with precision and prestige. My mentor and friend, the Reverend Dr. Gina M. Stewart. Arise, oh God, and take your place. Let your kingdom be established, oh ancient of days. Why? Because you are good. Come on, tell somebody you are good. God is good. Arise, oh God, and take your place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom the Lord has delivered out of the hand of the enemy. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt God's name together. God is worthy to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is worthy to be praised. Even in these times, even in these times of pandemic, God is still worthy to be praised. To Dr. Tony Barr, to the convention officers of the General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, and to all of you who have gathered via live stream or via Facebook or YouTube to share in this service of word and worship, let me express my appreciation to Dr. Barr for this invitation, for the invitation to share this word, to bring a word in unprecedented times, who would have thought that we would still be worshiping using technology and taking advantage of the tools of technology, but we are grateful that even though we can't be in the building, technology makes it possible for us to connect with one another. I'm grateful for this privilege and grateful for this opportunity to share. There is a word from the Lord found in 2 Kings chapter 7 verse 1 through 9. And the word of the Lord reads like this, and I'm reading from the New International Version of Scripture. And it reads, Elisha replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate at, of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elijah, but you will not eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we say we will go into the city, the famine is there and we, we need to start that over. Something is freezing up. Oh, is that... Well, I got to start over because I thought I was reading the same thing. It's the same scripture. Oh, and if we stay here. Okay, does she want me to keep going? Okay. There's a word from the Lord found in 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, and I'm reading from the New International Version of Scripture. And the word of the Lord reads like this. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow. A seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel 
and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered into one of, entered one of the camp, one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. But let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. This is the word of God. It's the word of life. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouths of babes. You have ordained praise. We consider the heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained. We stand in awe that you are mindful of us and that you would even condescend to the likes of us Yet you have created us and given us a position and destiny that is just a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and with honor. For this we say thank you and we give you praise. We thank you now for this preaching opportunity, this preaching moment. We recognize that every opportunity that we have to stand behind a sec sacred desk is a matter of life and death. And so I pray now that you would take a coal from the altar, that you would anoint my lips, that you would give me a tongue of the learned. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope let my will be lost in thine. 
Speak, Lord. We need to hear from you. Send your anointing now that makes preaching easy and the word eternally relevant for the living of these days. We pray this in the strong and sufficient name of Jesus. And all those that agree with this prayer say it together. Amen. For these moments that are mine, I want to invite your attention around the subject or the theme, get ready for tomorrow. Get ready for tomorrow. I believe it is safe to say that most of us have had our share of bad days. Even though the good days outweigh the bad days, most of us can probably say without any fear of contradiction that we have had our share of bad days. And I will say in full transparency and disclosure that I'm also in that number, that number that can testify that I've had my share of bad days. In fact, there have been some days in my life that have been so disturbing that I've had to pray to the Lord, Lord, don't let yesterday's disappointment rob me of my expectation for today. Expectation. It's the strong belief that something will happen. It's the intense anticipation. There are times when I have to pray this prayer for myself and for others because I'm convinced that there are some things that are essential for a strong finish in life. Some habits and mindsets are essential so that we don't drop out of the race or take a seat along the sidelines or move to a position of passivity or neutrality where we watch life pass us by. I've discovered that starting is one thing, but finishing is something else. For life is not a sprint, but a marathon. The winner of a sprint wins because of their speed, but a marathon winner wins because a marathon is based on going the distance. I believe that there are some things that are essential for a strong finish in the life of faith. One essential is what Frederick Nietzsche called a long obedience in the same direction. And I would also argue that one of the other essentials for a strong finish is to live our lives in such a way that, to borrow the words of Dr. Claudette Anderson Copeland, that our expectation outlasts our disappointment. While all of our expectations are not necessarily healthy or realistic, one of the things that I've discovered in the essential things that I believe is necessary in life to have a strong finish is to outlast our disappointments. Expectations probably wouldn't be so difficult to manage if it weren't for the disappointments. But disappointments are inevitable, and so there are times when reality doesn't always measure up with my expectation, and the greater the discrepancy between reality and expectation, the greater the disappointment. 
And so there are days, there are times when I have to pray to the Lord and for myself, Lord, don't let yesterday's disappointments rob me of my expectations for today. Disappointment can be deadly. It can be debilitating. Disappointment is a thief that robs us of our hope for the future. Just ask any child who has waited with bated breath for a parent who never shows up. Or ask any married person who kept hoping for a change in their marriage and yet the change in the marriage never came and the marriage that they thought would last until death separates them ended up in the divorce court. Just ask the person who's been stood up for a date or the person who has repeatedly passed over for a promotion in spite of your sterling performance. One person or the person who was thinking that surely this time the gift would be an engagement ring and not a purse or, 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 or a pair of shoes. It can be difficult to maintain a sense of expectation after repeated disappointments. But I wish to assert that expectation is essential for a life of faith because we often or generally get out of life what we expect. The messenger in today's text was not expecting much despite the fact that the prophet had prophesied favor in famine. And the truth is, based on the conditions that were surrounding him the messenger's skepticism and pessimism could have been justified. You see, the messenger in the text didn't expect much because Samaria, a city in the northern kingdom of Israel, was under siege by Syria. It was one of the darkest hours in the history of the kingdom of Israel. Times had never been worse in the capital city. Ben-Hadad had surrounded and hemmed in the city with hostile forces and had stopped all supplies from going into the city. The people were dealing with the twin problems of siege and extreme scarcity of food. Nobody could get in to bring food and nobody could get out to bring food to get food. You might say that they were in the middle of a recession with the government shutdown. It was a time of great economic hardship and a clue to the desperate nature of the times and the impact of the famine is underscored by the runaway inflation on the prices charged for food. According to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25, conditions inside the city wall were so disastrous and food was so scarce that they had forsaken their ceremonial laws and had begun to eat donkey's dung. Even though a donkey was unclean and was a violation of the Levitical code, the action provides a window of insight into their desperations. Times were so severe that one donkey's head, one of the least nourishing and most repulsive parts of this animal, unclean to the Israelites, became a highly valued commodity. The exorbitant high price to the purchase of donkey's head or dove's dung is a clue to the extent of their desperation. For a donkey's head was not only repulsive and unclean to Israel, but it was also the food of peasants. And the purchase of a dove's dung, according to some indicators, suggests that the situation had become so desperate 
that the people had been reduced to eating manure. It was a bad time. There were desperate times. It was a dark hour for the nation. But not only that, they had even resorted to cannibalism. They killed and ate children. Self-preservation and survival had become the moral agenda of the day. No, more, no matter the cost to the innocent, even if it meant mothers making deals, we see in the text, as we see in the text, to eat each other's children. The actions of these marginalized women are sobering reminders that there is always a personal cost to famine and war. I tell you, it was a dark time. It was a dark hour in their history characterized by inflation and unemployment and hunger and recession and no safety net. No government programs, no food pantries, no Red Cross, no soup kitchens, no homeless shelters, no transitional housing. It was a time of great darkness and devastation. Economic hardship is always difficult, but it's really difficult. It's extremely difficult when people or the, the symptoms of how extremely difficult it was for these people is the symptom or the sign that the people had begun to resort to eating unclean animals and manure. Perhaps that's why the messenger in the text, given, given the landscape of the time, had lost any sense of expectation. Even though the prophet had prophesied to expect favor in famine. Perhaps that's why he says in response to Elijah's prophecy, when the king frustrated by his own sense of powerlessness, cannibalism in the city, and the decapitation of royal power, sends a message back to Elijah, the prophet of the protege of the prophet Elijah. The king is like a lot of people who don't want to take responsibility for their actions. They are always looking for a scapegoat. And some of you know what a scapegoat is. A scapegoat is someone or something that bears the blame for others. Some of us know about being the scapegoat and some of us are guilty of scapegoating others. Much like some of our public officials and the current occupant in the White House who never want to take responsibility for their decisions. There are people who live and thrive off of blaming others. It's never their fault. There's always somebody to blame, whether it's classmates or workmates who are smarter or too successful or the perception that a workplace colleague is receiving certain privileges because of race or gender. Or it could be refugees who put stress on the economic system or groups whose religious beliefs run counter to another. There are some people who are always looking for a scapegoat. The king was looking for a scapegoat. And because he was looking for a scapegoat, he blames Elisha. But the truth is, the king has nobody to blame but himself and Israel. For what he is experiencing in that particular time, in that dark hour among the nation, is the fallout or the repercussions of their disobedience and their idolatry. The calamity, the famine, the economic disaster, the repercussions from the siege are all because of Israel's sin. In other words, they are experiencing this because for every action, there's a reaction. These are the consequences of some of the choices that they have made. But the king, who is so blinded by anger and who needed a scapegoat, sends the messenger to bring Elisha's head back. 
Because he refuses to accept responsibility for his own leadership failures and for the condition that the nation finds themselves in. So when the king's messenger arrives to confront Elisha, they engage in a heated exchange. But in the midst of the heated exchange, the prophet gave the messenger a message that is essential for expectation. The prophet says to the messenger tomorrow. Tomorrow, in the immediate future, not next year, not 10 years, not the next century, but in the next 24 hours, the prophet suggests that things will be drastically different. Elijah says, by this time tomorrow, the market is going to rebound. By this time tomorrow, the stock market is going to be rebound. By this time tomorrow, the Dow Jones and the S&P will make a comeback. By this time tomorrow, prices for food will return to normal levels. By this time tomorrow, the famine will be over and food will be in such bountiful supply that everyone will have more than enough to eat. The recession will be over. The staples of life will be readily available and there will be no need for desperate cannibalism. The prophet declares that in the immediate future, the immense, unmistakable, incomparable, unbeatable, unfathomable, hidden power of God will decisively reverse the circumstances of Israel. But the messenger of the king does not believe the prophet. And you know, there was a time in my life when I was really hard on the messenger in this text. There was a time in my life when I preached about this messenger in my proclamation that I had a tendency to look at this messenger through a jaded set of lenses. But I need to stand here tonight today and tell you that at 60 years of life and after 25 years of pastoring and a lifetime of singleness, to be quite honest, my understanding has evolved and in some ways I can empathize with this messenger. My suspicion is that some of you can too. Because perhaps you're not living with a famine where there's no food, but you may be dealing with a famine of faith. You want to believe, but you want to have a sense of expectation, but you are a woman or a man of God. You may even be a person that is in leadership, but you've been disappointed so many times that you have phantom or you cannot phantom the thought of reaching for something greater. You've had so many cumulative disappointments. Your heart has been broken so many times. You've gotten your hopes up only to... Find out that you're in for another letdown. In fact, you've grown weary of reaching for something greater. It's possible that you can experience so many cumulative disappointments that getting your hopes up again is too risky because you don't want to be disappointed. You don't want to have your heart broken again. You don't want to go through what you went through the last time. You just don't have it in you for another letdown. I've discovered that you can be broke for so long, you don't expect financial freedom. You've been struggling so long, you begin to accept it as a way of life. You've been in abusive and toxic relationships for so long that you think you don't think it's possible to have healthy love. You've been disappointed by a broken criminal justice system for so long that you've lost your faith and confidence in the fundamental rule of law. You've been disappointed so many times with a rigged election system that you feel no obligation to vote in this upcoming election. You've been disappointed so many times 
times as a pastor or a minister that you don't feel the initiative and you prayed for your church and you prayed for your ministry to grow for so long, but you're still looking at the faithful few that you don't expect anything anymore. You've accepted disappointment as normative for your life. You've accepted bondage as normative. You've accepted poverty as normative. You've accepted misery as normative. You've accepted loneliness as normative. You've accepted violence as normative and insecurity as normative. You've accepted abuse as normative and failure as normative because you just can't bear the thought of another letdown. The text doesn't say, but the messengers doubt Skepticism is a reflection of how we tend to view things when sight is our only source for faith. We know that our five senses help us to interpret reality, but some of us know that whenever God is in the, whenever God is in the equation, things are very rarely the way they seem. For we walk by faith, Paul says, and not by sight. If Hagar was preaching right here, she would tell you that a baby daddy sent her and her son into the wilderness with nothing. But God performed a rescue operation and sent an angel of the Lord that found Hagar sending, standing, sitting by a spring in the desert. Don't miss this. Deserts don't typically have water. Deserts are dry places. But how many of you know that God will show up in some of the most unlikely places? God will show up in a desert, in arid places, because God was in the equation. He provided water in the desert. If Rahab was preaching here, she would tell us that based on her profession and her pedigree, she was outside of the covenant and should have perished when the spies from Israel came to overthrow the city of Jericho. But because God was in the equation, Rahab and her household were stayed, they were spared. If the widow of Zarephath was preaching right here, she would tell us all I had was a little meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. But when I gave the prophet, the first fruit of my increase, my barrel of meal never wasted and the cruise of oil did not fail until the Lord sent rain upon the earth. But you know what? I don't have to tell you about the widow of Zarephath. I don't have to tell you about Rahab. I don't have to tell you about Hagar finding water in the wilderness. Some of you under the sound of my voice have your own testimonies. About what happens when you add God to the equation. I know I have plenty of my own myself that I can look back over my shoulder and remember that there were some times when things look hopeless. But because God was in the equation, God turned that thing around. Doubt, skepticism, pessimism, and an absence of hope are the potential culprits behind the messenger's unbelief. He had lived in and he had lived in this famine and tried to survive in the famine. He had been in a state of powerlessness for so long that he had lost his sense of expectation. Check out what he says to Elijah. He says, even a miracle. After Elijah tells him by this time tomorrow, he says, even a miracle cannot accomplish what you're saying is going to happen. The rhetoric of the prophet suggests that he was a victim of low expectations. Perhaps he forgot or maybe he didn't even know who he was talking to. I mean, he is talking to Elisha. He's talking to Elisha who worked more miracles than his mentor, Elijah. Uh, this is Elisha who raised a woman's son from the dead. This is Elisha. 
who told Naaman to go and wash seven times in the Jordan and he was healed of his leprosy. This is Elisha who retrieved the broken axe head. This is Elisha who specialized in the kind of miracle that the prophet needed. But the military messenger is so convinced that what Elisha has promised or prophesied is not possible. He does not even expect the unexpected. To which the prophet replied back to the messenger. He did not allow it to alter his testimony or shift his prophecy. He simply said to the messenger, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. May I suggest to you that this text is our proof when there is a high cost for low expectations. Like the messenger in the text, we have a tendency not just to limit ourselves, but the problem with low expectations is that we often limit God in terms of what God is able to do. We have a tendency to limit God to what is normal, what is likely, and what is predictable. The messenger's attitude toward Elisha was based on the normal way things happen. Seeds are planted. Grain grows, then it's harvested and ground into flour. This takes time. And the messenger's objection was to the possibility of the miracle because he was unwilling to even think for a moment that it was possible. No doubt the messenger of the king had lived like many of us under prolonged suffering and disappointing circumstances for so long that he didn't expect even God to turn things around. Perhaps he felt like some of us who show up for worship, but who've lost our sense of expectation. Or more importantly, perhaps he was facing a famine of faith. His faith or our faith may be on life support. You want to believe, but you have objections. And I'll be the first to admit after 60 years of life and 25 years of pastoring, there are many things that take place in our lives and in the world that do not engender hope or expectation. All you have to do is look at the news or look at the latest status on Facebook or look at some of the tweets and there's enough that you see in the news and in social media platforms that will give you acid indigestion. First of all, we're in a global pandemic that has lasted longer than most of us would have ever imagined. Secondly, there is no vaccine in sight, and even the vaccine trials uh, that they had begun have been suspended. 200,000 people have died from this coronavirus, and America leads the world in coronavirus cases. Despite our marching and our protesting, our demands for justice, we are watching the Senate literally ram a Supreme Court justice through confirmation hearings. The current occupant is suing in the courts so that he can enforce voter suppression tactics. And we have public officials who have no integrity. The earth has a fever, Antarctica is melting, and the people we elected to represent us are doing absolutely nothing. In fact, they don't even believe in climate change because they don't believe in science. Special interests hold our government hostage so that we can barely have a conversation about gun control, let alone changing laws to protect the lives of everyday American citizens. Children are still suffering at the border. We have a chief executive who blatantly disregards the law, colludes with foreign powers, obstructs justice, and nobody says a mumbling word. Every day that we can summon the will to watch or read the news, there is more madness, there is more disappointment, 
There's more frustration. There's more unbridled greed. There's more corruption. There's more mean spiritedness than we have ever seen in our lives. People who have government health care want to withhold it from others. People who make $1,500 an hour don't want to pay a working class $15 an hour. Some of us have great reason to be frustrated. Some of us have legitimate reason to have lost our sense of expectation. Some of us have possibly been disappointed for so long or felt powerless for so long or felt frustrated for so long or watched this pandemic for so long that we have lost our sense of expectation. Some of you may have been unemployed last year and you're still unemployed. Or you had a job last year, but you won't have a job this year. Some of us are still just as broke and struggling in 2020 as we were in 2019, even though some of us saw quite a few proposals on Facebook in 2019. Many of us went 2018, many, 2018, 2019, I'm sorry. Many of us went into the new year and had nobody to celebrate when the ball dropped in New York City. Income equality. Is still a defining challenge of our time. Powerful special, powerful special interests are still rigging rules to serve themselves. And in the words of Pope Francis, we have witnessed a globalization of indifference in which the poor are dehumanized and ignored. Ah, oh, but I've come to announce today that despite the temptation to cave in to disappointment and powerlessness and hopelessness, we who believe in God, cannot allow doubt and fear and disbelief and unbelief to dominate our lives because God's ways are not our ways. Can I tell you that just when you think it's over, just when you think you've had the worst disappointment of your life, just when you think things can't get any better, God will bust a move. And not only will God bust a move, God will bust a move with a hidden strategy. It's in the text. The four lepers who sat at the gate with no hope, no support, and no advocacy became key players in Yahweh's hidden strategy for fulfilling the prophetic promise. You see, it's in the text. Only those who were behind the wall of Samaria were dying. The Syrians who were encamped around the city were living off the land and had plenty to eat. The four lepers who by virtue of their disease were destined to die. And so they decided to take a risk. And every, can I put a pen here and say every now and then you got to make a decision. No matter how bad things look, that you got to decide that you're going to take a risk. They decided to take a risk to enter the Syrian camp to beg for food. Notice what they said to each other in verses 3 through 5. They said, why sit we here until we die? They said, if we stay here, we're going to die. And if we go into the city, we just might die there too. So in their opinion, the evil consequences could be no worse than the death to which they were already doomed. So they decided to enter the camp based on the options that they had. And I need to tell you, if you read the text, you'll see that God was working behind the scenes. Because while they were trying to get a sandwich, God was working behind the scenes in their behalf. You see, in the silence of the Samaritan night, God had miraculously created a noise of horses in the ears of the Syrians, causing them to believe that the Hittites and the Egyptians had converged upon them to raid the Israelite camp or to raid the Syrian camp and in their panic because they thought that they were about to fall into the hands of their enemies they decided that their only recourse was to flee the city leaving everything
behind them. So by the time the leper showed up, the camp had already been cleared. In other words, God had cleared the camp out and they had left the spoils behind so that when the lepers took the risk to go into the camp, when they got there, they were surprised by what they found. They found that there was more than enough, that there was sufficient food, and they did eat until they until they dined sufficiently. But notice that the text says that after faring sumptuously and helping themselves to the spoils, the lepers had a flash. They had a flash of insight. They said, "Look at here, this ain't right. What we are doing is not right. We must share this good news." So they returned to the camp. And when the Samaritans found out, they went in and they plundered the camp. And as a result of what the Samaritans left, the lepers were able to take the spoils that they left in the Syrian camp. And the very word, oh shucks here, that the prophet spoke came to pass. Oh, I wish I could get somebody to just type in the feed. It will come to pass. Within 24 hours, the market rebounded, the food supplies were available, and the messenger who predicted that it could never happen because of a divine intervention, watch God do a divine reversal. May I suggest to somebody who is holding on to the end of your rope that God specializes in divine interventions. He specializes in divine reversals. When Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea, it was a divine reversal. When the city of Jericho was shut up tight and it appeared that the people of God could not take the city, God bust a move and gave them a divine reversal. When David went up against a giant and slew him with a slingshot and five smooth stones, it was a divine reversal. When Paul and Silas were locked up in a Roman jail and God sent an earthquake to set the captives free, it was a divine reversal. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in a fiery furnace, they experienced a divine reversal. Because even though they threw them in the fire and the flames were seven times hotter, the Bible says that when they looked in the furnace, they saw Shadrach, they saw Meshach, and they saw Abednego, but they saw somebody else walking through the fire, and they said one of them looks like the Son of God. I stopped by to tell you that the God we serve specializes in divine reversals. As a matter of fact, our faith pivots around a divine reversal. You see the resurrection of Jesus, our liberator, and our Lord was a divine reversal. The resurrection was not a resuscitation. Where restoration to life would only last so long. And everybody would eventually experience death. 
But I stopped by to shout to say that it wasn't so with Jesus. He died, but he lives. He died, but he lives. Despite the stone, despite the denials of the Sanhedrin, despite less than credible witnesses, despite Judas' betrayal, despite Peter's denial, despite the stone in front of the tomb, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who's delivering us against overwhelming odds. Yes, he will. He'll engineer a turnaround. He'll pull some strings. The God I serve will bust the move. You are to bless God that you can look back over your shoulder and think about how God made a way out of no way. So I stopped by to tell somebody who may be disappointed, who's lost your sense of expectation. Get ready for tomorrow. For the God that we serve is still in the business of divine reversals. The God that we serve still specializes in pulling strings. He still makes a way out of no way. He still gets in the furnace with us. He'll still shut the lion's mouth. He'll still pave a highway through the desert. He'll still make a way out of no way. Get ready for tomorrow. God is still able to do exceeding. I feel my help now. And abundant above everything that you can ask or think according to the power that's at work in us. Get ready for tomorrow. He who has begun a good work shall bring it to completion. Oh, I wish I had just a few people that could type in the feed. God's gonna finish what he started. Be not dismayed. Whatever be tied. God will take care of you. Yeah. Won't he do it? Yeah. Won't he make a way? Yeah. Won't he make your enemies your footstool? Shout yeah. 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 Say something. You ought to just prophesy to yourself and say, Self, get ready for tomorrow. It does not yet appear. Oh, shucks here. What we gonna be? But when God gets through with us, we're coming out like pure gold. Coming out of this pandemic. Coming out of the coronavirus. Coming out of sickness. Coming out every setback. Everything that the enemy tried to do. Get ready for tomorrow. We've been made endure for a night but joy 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 is coming in the morning hallelujah let the redeemed give God some praise let everything that had breath 
Somebody ought to just type in the very near future. You ought to just prophesy to yourself and say in the very near future. The unfathomable, incomparable power of God is going to make things right. I believe this is still God's world. I believe that God is still running the universe. His kingdom, hallelujah is an everlasting kingdom thanks be to God his dominion is an everlasting dominion he's a sovereign God he's the omnipotent God he can do whatever he wants to he doesn't come up for re-election he can't be impeached this God that we serve still has a hidden hidden strategy even while you're watching this word, even while you are thanking God for this word, even as you are dealing with your own disappointment, receive the word of the Lord that God still has a hidden strategy. God still knows how to bust a move in ways that you least expect. And just when you think, that it's too late or that it's over God has a way playing a trump card come on card please God always has a trump card to show us that this world still belongs to him I don't know who I'm talking to but I stop by to tell you hold on to your expectation don't let yesterday's disappointment don't let this pandemic don't let the political theater that you see in the news and on cnn and msnbc don't don't let it rob you don't even let your anxiety about what this election holds this this election holds for us don't let it rob you of your expectation for today because the omnipotent God, hallelujah, is still working in your behalf. The omnipotent God, because he's a covenant-keeping God, is still working behind the scenes, moving, rearranging, working out details. Even while you're in worship, God is working things out so that the very thing 
that you thought was impossible is possible with God. I hear the angel saying to Mary, the things that are impossible with man are possible with human beings are possible with God. He that hath begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. May not be the way you expected. Who would have expected that God would have used some lepers to bring deliverance to the to the, the Israelite camp? The people who were on the outside, who were outside of the gate. Hallelujah. For the very ones that God had recruited for his hidden strategy. I stopped by to tell somebody, you don't know how God's working things out in your behalf. You don't even know when God's going to do it. But believe that the God that we serve is still able to work behind the scenes and bring your deliverance. And can I tell you the reason why you need to hold on to your expectation? Because the end of the text tells us that when the people ran into the city, they found out that the lepers had brought all of that food back, all of the supplies and the booty from the Syrian camp. The same messenger who told Elisha that even if a miracle would happen, that what he had spoken was not possible. That same messenger got trampled at the city gate as people were running in to receive and to take advantage of the supplies. What am I saying to you? That when you lose your sense of expectation, it makes you a bystander to the miraculous. Don't be a bystander. I want everything. I want everything that God is doing. Whatever God is doing in this season, I don't want God to do it without me. So hold on to your expectation and get ready for tomorrow. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Wow. One of my favorite preachers, Dr. Gina Stewart, she is just absolutely amazing. That sermon by this time tomorrow ought to help us to come to terms that as we move throughout life, that one of the most important things we need is a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know he holds tomorrow. I want to lead you, my sister and my brother, in prayer. We don't want to take for granted that everyone who is watching this live stream has a relationship with God or that you're connected to a local church. So if I could, I want to pray with you and then help you to understand what your next steps should be. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we Submit this word in our hearts and minds. And if you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, what you should do next. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your servant in the person and personality of the Reverend Dr. Gina Stewart. We pray right now, God, that this word that she has shared will take root. And perhaps there is some man, woman, poor girl who is 
watching this live stream who may not know you and the pardon of their sins, that if they just confess their sins and if they put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, they can be saved. We thank you, O oh God, for her prolific, prophetic, and powerful preachment that she has shared with General Baptist today. Now, God, we pray that you will move upon the hearts and the minds and the bodies of those who are watching this live stream, that if we do not know who Jesus Christ is and the pardon of our sins, that we confess him right now and then connect to a local church so we can grow and become what you would desire for us to be. God, if you would, pour back into Dr. Stewart all that she has given out to us. Refresh her, reinvigorate her for her next assignment. And we thank you, O oh God, for what she has shared. It is in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, all you got to do is confess with your heart, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Bible says you shall be saved. And if you really believe that in head and heart and you want God to do something different in your life, I want to encourage you to connect with one of our churches, one of the churches of the General Baptist State Convention that is in your area. Uh, our churches are Bible teaching, Bible practicing, Bible-believing congregations where we demonstrate the love, the grace, the mercy, the redemption, the liberation, the forgiveness, and the transformation of our God. If you will connect with one of our churches, the pastor and those wonderful people will help you in your journey of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. At this time, I want to share with you what is coming up as far as the rest of today is concerned. Join the concurrent workshop sessions in the designated Zoom meeting sessions. There are two scheduled. One should start at 11.30 a.m. or as soon as this service is over, and three are scheduled at 12.45 p.m. The 11.30 a.m. sessions are Number one, the theology, social justice, and equality. And number two, mission in hostile waters. The second session, which starts at 1245, is number one, sermonic prep by the Reverend Dr. John Adolph. And you will want to hear what he has to say as far as his sermon preparation methodology is concerned. Another one is establishing a CDC, Community Development Corporation, in your ministry. The Reverend Dr. Alfred Bailey II, good friend of mine from Baltimore, Maryland. The third one, music and worship arts during a pandemic. The Reverend Dr. Tiffany Bennett Cornelius. And then, join us tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. There will be a concert at 6.30. And immediately following the concert, will be the preaching of my friend and my fraternity brother, the Reverend Dr. John Robert Adolph, the senior pastor 
of the Antioch Missionary Baptist Church in Beaumont, Texas. A powerful preacher that will give us a prophetic word with pastoral implications and priestly applications. Thanks for joining us in this opening session of the General Baptist State Convention and on behalf of our president, the Reverend Dr. Leonzo Lynch and his cabinet, we look forward to connecting with you online tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. I'm Reverend Dr. Robert Scott. I, along with the St. Paul Baptist Church, are serving as your virtual host. God bless you.